Hello and welcome to the Recreation to Recreation podcast, the show where we explore the stories of people who have turned the activity that they love into positive change for our world. My name is Jen, and I'll be your sidekick on this adventure as we treasure hunt for gems of insight and wisdom while exploring the planet with our inspiring guests. For today's adventure, we're heading to Norway with Malin to explore her world of nature, advocacy, and motherhood. Hi, Malin. Hi, Jen. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am excellent and so excited to be here with you. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Excellent. So before we get rolling, what I love to do is basically ask our guests to tell us where you are, what it's like there, kind of get us situated in your world. Yeah. So just now I'm at my office, not very interesting, in a very small place called Kudal. The weather is nice. So picture like an, <laughs> an office with <laughs> white walls and a computer. So inspiring. I know. <laughs> Amazing. But the area that you live, maybe you could describe that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so I live on a small farm in Anneby. It's in the southern, southeastern part of Norway. So most of what I see when I'm home is fields of barley and potatoes and grass. And we also live just next to the forest. So very idyllic. So now we're in Norway, everyone. (laughs) So before we dive in, what I would love to do is ask you some of my weird and wonderful questions. These (laughs) don't really have anything to do with anything, but they end up being quite entertaining. So I hope you are ready. (laughs) Okay, shoot. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to start off easy. What is your favorite family recipe? Oh, wow. Maybe my mother's uh, meatballs. My mom is an excellent cook. What is the most eccentric hobby or recreational activity that you've tried? Hmm. I don't know. Eccentric. Yeah. I did a lot of scrapbooking when I was younger, but I'm not sure if that's eccentric. (laughs) I don't know. I (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, I... I haven't had that many hobbies. I've kind of worked on environmentalism my whole life, and that's been both my work and my free time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, scrapbooking definitely is is there. I would say that perhaps I did do a little bit when I was a kid, but actually I've done more as an adult. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know, vision boards and things that you want to see for your life. I think it can be a very cool thing to do as an inspirational thing. Yeah, I agree. And I make these photo albums for my kids now. But when I was younger, it was a lot of cut out flowers and stickers. And um, oh, I feel like love of stickers is just something that never goes away. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, that's a lovely gift to give your kids as well. So Yeah, I hope so. I'm sure they'll love it. Do you have a mantra or a motto that you follow? No, but kind of do your best and reminding myself that happiness is not constant and you cannot have it always. And if you did, you probably wouldn't be happy anymore. Having some 
sorrow in your life, it's important to uh, feel happiness. I love that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's why I love these questions, because you end up with just these little gems of wisdom that come out. I just love it so much. Okay, this one's my, like one of my favorite questions that I ask a lot of people, because there's kind of this theory that either you're like a, an early morning person or a late night person. And we talk about this going back to caveman days, that you either guarded the cave at night or you were the guard <laughs> during the day. And I am definitely a day person. I love to stay up to look at stars and stuff. And then I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> but I'm curious, would you consider yourself an early morning or a late night person? So I'm definitely a late night person. I think if I had the chance to wake up at noon and go to bed at four o'clock, I would prefer that. But having kids, that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so after I've I I had kids, I've turned into this morning person, waking up at six, going to bed at ten, and I actually like it quite well. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, it's all about flexibility, right? In different periods of your life for different things. <laughs> oh yeah, but I think maybe I will keep this morning thing because you know mornings is really nice when you get to know them. Yeah, sunrise is just a really special time of day. Yeah, I agree. What's the most beautiful place that you've ever seen in person? Actually, when I came to the Lofoten Islands for the first time, when I was about 18, uh, this is the northern part of Norway, I was just like, wow, this is the most incredible place I've ever seen in my life. I want to live here. Mm. And after maybe 10 years, I decided to do so. I moved to the Lofoten Islands for three years. So yeah, Amazing. and maybe also crossing the Atlantic, seeing the stars above mm. us and there's nothing. You're an op on an open space and there's really nothing to see. That was quite spectacular as well. Mm -hmm. I think we share that in common. The middle of the ocean, just knowing that you're closer to people on the space station than you are to people on land. I know. Yeah, I just love that. and. Just the expansiveness of it all. Mm -hmm. And I also love that you moved to where you fell in love with. If you haven't seen photos of the Lofoten Islands yet, I recommend Googling it. And I'm sure you will just get this. I want to go there. <laughs> if you could trade places with anyone in the world for a week, who would it be? Oh, wow. I think it would be really interesting to understand how Donald Trump thinks. <laughs> just to kind of get it mm. uh, and maybe not get it mm -hmm. so yeah maybe Donald Trump just to experience what kind of madness is all about <laughs> I love that that came out of total left field for me so I'm <laughs> I love that I also wonder because you know with these questions they come out but I'm like okay but what are the stipulations um, if you trade places with him do you keep your mind, but you're just in his body living his life? Or do you yes. get to see into his mind? I hope both. I hope I can kind of keep myself, mm -hmm. but also kind of, I don't know, like a parasite that I can <laughs> dig into his brain and then understand where everything comes from. You know, I get the knowledge he got or the non-knowledge, if that's what it's all about. Okay, let's uh, go with that. I love that. Yeah. So. Haven't you wanted that just to kind of crawl into someone's mind? 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's why I asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> These are things I ask myself. <laughs> so then it's really nice to basically go and ask other people. <laughs> now you can just imagine me sitting at home asking myself a hundred very weird and wonderful questions. <laughs> Actually, I can imagine that. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> yep. It's, it's the vibe. <laughs> at some point, you should interview yourself, Jen. That would be interesting. Yeah, well, maybe we'll think about doing that someday. <laughs> For now, I'll just continue to interview myself in private, get to know myself. I mean, isn't that basically the the thing? You know, know thyself, ask yourself the weird and wonderful questions and see what makes you tick. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, oh, my definitely. gosh. I love that segment of the interview so much. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. <laughs> I always like to start these interviews with a bit of an origin story. So hearkening back to when you were born and how did life all begin for you? So let's get to know you. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a city called Kristiansand in the southern part of Norway, just next to the sea, the youngest of three. I have two wonderful parents. I guess I've lived a very protected life haven't really had any worries at all. So I've had the pleasure to use the ocean and, and fjords as my playground. I'll say I've, I've had a really, really nice childhood. The city that I grew up in is, is quite conservative. They call it the Bible Belt. And to me, that was a bit too... I, I thought it was hard to be myself in a way. So I, I left when I was about 17 to explore... Oslo, the capital city. Obviously, we're going to delve deeper into all of the amazing things that you've done, and especially your advocacy work for nature and the oceans in particular. I definitely think that growing up by the sea has given me a love for the ocean. At the same time, as when you have it there all the time, you maybe don't understand the importance of it. But I also have a mom that's very interested in nature. And I, I'd say she's an environmentalist too. So we've uh -huh. talked a lot about protecting nature, protecting animals, climate change at home. So I'm sure my, my childhood has brought me to where I am today. One of the biggest themes that I talk about on this show, just because it's something that's so close to my heart, is our connection to the world around us and how the love for where we live and whether it's, you know, our physical environment or it's our society, how that connection leads to protection. And when I look at you and your life thus far, you know, you really have stepped up as a protector of nature. And, you know, we're going to explore that more as we get further into the conversation. But it's nice to know a little bit more about what inspires your connection to nature and has led to that advocacy. Because as I was delving into information about you, and I knew some of it because we have known each other for almost 10 years now, which is I amazing. Know. But just for those who are listening and don't know, at 18 years old, Malin was awarded Environmental Hero of the Year in Norway because of her participation in stopping hydro from drilling for oil along the southern coast of Norway. You've also been a youth delegate in international climate negotiations and been a judge on TV. <laughs> so <laughs> how was it a light bulb moment? 
a forever and always passion or a slow burn behind the scenes that kind of led you into this profession? I think it's a very good question. I don't think there has been like a light bulb moment. I've been told that when my dad tried to cut down the trees in our garden when I was about three years old, I cried hysterically because we didn't know what the trees were feeling. Mm -hmm. So I think I've been interested in nature as long as I can remember and wanted to protect it. But it's been more like a protection for ecosystems. I know a lot of kids that get into environmentalism because they are very interested in animals and animal welfare. And that was a part of it too. But for me, I think it was the whole package where the animals were living or burned down or cut down. The whole ecosystem has been a part of my environmentalism since I was a kid. But it was when I was about 13, 14 years old when I could join the Young Friends of the Earth in Norway, where I kind of understood that this could be my profession. I can do this as an adult, too. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. So the the last episode, we actually explored that connection with wildlife with my friend Guy, who's a herpetologist. And so it's really nice in this conversation to be talking about the bigger picture And we did talk about that, of course, in terms of conservation of ecosystems, but that connection to the environment, not as something that we just live within, but something that we are directly connected to. And I think that that's probably something that resonates with you as it does with me. I have a, a very direct, intimate relationship with it, no matter where I am. Yeah, me too. And I think in the big picture... Of course, talking about ecosystems, it also comes down to people and relationships with people that we are a part of uh, a world and we're a part of nature, definitely. And so when you say at, was it 17, I think you said that you went to Oslo. Yeah. How how did that come about? Was that for school? Was that with your parents? Uh, No, I, I left home actually. So I, I went to school, to high school, last year of high school, just outside Oslo. I think for me, living in a, a very religious place, conservative place, I didn't feel like I could explore new ideas in a way or explore the world outside religion. And to be honest, I think religion also has formed me in a way. And it was actually a shock to see that the whole world or Norway isn't like that, that religion doesn't interfere with everything. This is a long time ago, and I'm not sure it's that way today. But yeah, I need, I kind of needed to get away to get perspectives in my own life and also what life is in a way. I was thinking back on how we met, which was basically crossing the Atlantic Ocean on a sailboat together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about pivotal life experiences and you're talking there about getting out and experiencing the world outside of where we grow up, which I think is really important to basically become world citizens and understanding the diversity of the world around us, the way that we can look at it, our perception and understanding of things, realizing we don't know Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) and embracing that as a part of our life. But yeah, so, you know, meeting, sailing across the Atlantic 
I remember, you know, you being the youngest crew member, you were also my bunk buddy. You were the upstairs bunk mate. (laughs) (laughs) Starboard Stern. We created our own environment back there (laughs) and had a lot of fun doing it. And then at that time, you were a blogger at Green Girls and you were also an ambassador for the Infinitum movement, which was the deposit scheme for plastic in Norway, right? So how did you come to be on that trip? (laughs) How did that all unfold? Because we all have our own stories, all of the crew members, but I'd love to hear yours. After high school, I spent two years in the central board of Young Friends of the Earth, and it felt really meaningful doing something concrete with environmental problems. Then when when I finished, I started studying, and I hated it. I hated going to the university reading about theories, political theories on how the world works. And it Mm. it didn't resonate with me. It's not how international negotiations work. It was not my experience of the world, you know. Mm -hmm. And I also felt like my whole life was set on hold, that I had to wait to save the world again in a way. And I had to wait Mm. for my education so I could do whatever I wanted to. And at one point, I just found myself sitting, watching expeditions from the Antarctic on YouTube instead of reading for my exams. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, watching people climbing the the Himalayas and, and Everest and stuff. And then I just kind of figured out that I can't be here. I can't be at the university. I need to get out. I need to spend time in nature. I need to work to protect nature. I can't wait any longer. Mm. So I actually applied for money to spend a year outside doing expeditions and trying to figure out how you can do expeditions more environmentally friendly Mm -hmm. and explore the world with less impact, really. And then I came across this amazing expedition with women researching microplastics that I I haven't even heard of or, or just briefly and they wanted a crew. And I was just like, okay, why not? Mm. <laughs> why shouldn't I go on this? But during this uh, university time, I also blogged, as you did then, <laughs> in uh, Green Girls, blogging about environmentally friendly everyday life. And this Infinitum ambassador, I was doing something while I was studying, but it wasn't enough. And I haven't gone back to school since, or that's not true. I did, I did a bit when I was in maternity with my with my daughter, but mm. I haven't finished my degree. <laughs> okay, cool. It's interesting if you reflect on, let's just say the the societally normative trajectory of how we go through life and learn. I think it's really great that you had that sort of real world experience before you went to university, because then you were better able to say well, does this work for me or does it not? Do I really feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be? Or can I let this piece, this theoretical piece go? Is it serving me? Is it going to serve me going forward to be a better X, Y, Z, whatever I choose to go on to do? So I think it's really great that you recognized, okay, I'm not, I, and I had that moment too, when I was in university of like, I'm not meant to sit behind a desk. <laughs> I I want to be out doing things. And I felt, I think, a similar pull in terms of I very nearly didn't finish my master's because I so desperately wanted to just 
go do the thing, be out making environmental films and my own version of advocacy for environmental protection. So that resonates with me quite a lot. And I think that people who are passionate about whatever their little slice, and that's the whole point of this podcast is like, we all have our own passions. That's the beautiful part of being human. We all have our thing that we're so excited about that you get up in the morning and we just can't wait to either do it or learn more about it or whatever it is. And so I think if you have that pull and you give into it, it can be really hard to find yourself in positions where you feel like you're not doing it and you're not active in that passion. Where there are points in life where we do naturally find ourselves in periods of and necessary periods of rest and taking a break and just allowing ourselves to be versus do. I think that's really important. But that's something that's come to me a lot later. (laughs) Now, being on the other side of taking that time, it can be a really powerful way of revisiting sort of the foundations of how you do things. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know how it went from being in university, going on this expedition that we went on, and then from what I thought from your timeline, getting straight out of university and like, bam, I'm in Norway, beautiful. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about how that transition worked. So this expedition that we were on, it was crash course in marine plastics. Mm -hmm. And it was something I knew a bit about, but not a lot. And I think a lot of what I thought I knew was wrong. Mm -hmm. I think I got a lot of knowledge very fast. And this uh, new passion had just started burning. I wanted to work with the ocean. I wanted to work with plastics. Yeah, and, and this expedition itself, it's the most amazing thing I've ever done. I think this was the one mark in my life where I can see like a before and after. Except for being a mother, that's also before and after, having kids. Yeah, sure. Uh, but this expedition was what transitioned my life working with this full-time. So when I got home, I tried to go back to the university, was restless as ever, (laughs) as you do. (laughs) After you come home from an expedition, you just want to go out on another one. But Mm -hmm. they called me from Keep Norway Beautiful and asked if I wanted to work for them. There is not a lot of people that work with plastics in Norway, or it wasn't at least. Now it's, it's a lot of people. And I said yes. And I was supposed to work there for six months, and then I stayed for three years. I've been working um, a lot with with volunteers, volunteer beach cleaning. And it has been like this amazing journey from not knowing anything to be one of the, the experts in Norway. Yeah, it is quite challenging working in Oslo. I think Oslo is was the main problem that you, you can do everything you can go to all the breakfast meetings you want you can have a thousand meetings a day you can work 12 hour days and you kind of never feel you you do enough in a way Mm. i actually got pretty exhausted even though it was fantastic and very rewarding but at some point i just felt like i was just working i didn't i didn't do anything else but work Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be out even more than I were. And I wanted to have like closer relationships, closer friendships than I I had. 
yeah, so I decided to move from Oslo and move up to these amazing islands up north with really high mountains going just down to the uh, to the sea. So I quit my job in Keep Norway Beautiful to move to the Lofoten Islands, and I got a job in where I am now, SALT, which is a research and consultancy company working on ocean-related topics. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I was just going to go back to what you said about going on the expedition with, you kind of had expectations of what marine plastics meant and what the situation was. I had a similar experience in terms of, I actually didn't know a lot. And when I came across the expedition as an environmentalist, kind of ashamed that I didn't know that this was such a pervasive issue and that was what really, yeah, um, you know, going. I got to go on this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I need to go and and learn about this and understand it and share it. And that was my perspective was coming on board as the filmmaker, right? Mm-hmm. Which also led to my demise of seasickness, <laughs> as you well remember. <laughs> oh yeah, you were seasick like <laughs> half of the trip, even more maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but then continued to sail for another five years. So obviously, you did put me off, but you know. <laughs> talking about having these experiences be these pivotal moments of I can look at that and say that there's a before and after I think is is a really wonderful thing to reflect back on and it doesn't have to be some great big expedition like we went on it can be as you said having your child having it can be a job shift there's so many things that happen in our lives that I think we can also choose whether they're going to be pivotal moments as well. And how we look at things is so important in terms of how we then live our lives out and sort of say, okay, I'm going to make this a pivotal moment. Like there are things that happen to us externally that, of course, like fill us with this, you know, either a sense of wonder and awe or can sometimes come through as like a frustration or a some anger, especially when it comes to the way that we see others treating the environment or whatever your thing is. But I think that that's something just really important to mention is that there are these moments in life that happen to us, but also for us. And it's it's up to us to make them into what we want them to be. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. So I, I think also one of the things that was amazing about the X-Expedition wasn't just the knowledge, but I think also the the relationships that we gained. It's very strange to be 14 women on board a ship for three weeks. You kind of have to make sure that everyone is okay, not creating conflict, and you get to know each other in a, a very different way. And I, I think also that not having any reception you can't stay on your cell phone you have to be very present was also a, a very important part of the trip and i think just to log off social media for a while for everybody can be this pivotal moment to understand that there is life outside instagram <laughs> Yeah, something for all of us to think about. You don't have to go to the middle of the ocean, have no reception to hang hang up and hang out, but <laughs> you know, you can actually do that anytime. But it is 
it can be very hard for people. There's a, a lot of people who do live a very active life online and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that these situations that invite us to be very present with where we are and what we're doing and who we're with, as you were saying, is definitely something to place importance on. And so I'm curious, when you chose to move to the islands, was that a part of it? Was disconnecting a little bit, maybe recreating that space that you had? on board Sea Dragon, but maybe within a, a different context. Yeah, I think you could say that. I Moving to a very small society or community is very different. You know, living in Oslo, I didn't even know my neighbor. I didn't know his or her name. And living in the islands or on the islands, you could pass by and go for a coffee at your neighbor's house without even calling them beforehand. You know, just really slow down life. It was something I I missed and, and wanted and maybe kind of creating these relationships where it's not work-related, mm-hmm. that you, you meet people outside work that are interested in totally other things than you. The, the island life was yeah really nice. I think it was the first time for many, many years I didn't go to bed with like this my heart pumping or my heart. Yeah. So just the stress flew away in a way. Mm. It's interesting when I reflect on, we were talking about this, but quite a few of the women that we went on that cross ocean voyage with have ended up moving to small communities actually on islands (laughs) (laughs) across the world, you know, seeking, you know, quiet community and nature, water being immersed in beautiful places across the planet. So I'm curious to learn a little bit more about the work that you're doing. So you have kept your job, despite the fact that you have now moved from the islands. From what I understand of SALT, it's, as you were saying, a sort of research and advisory company that specializes in the Arctic. Arctic and Ocean Conservancy. What is your role within SALT? So now I'm the CMO. I work on getting in new projects to the uh, to the company. But I've been the group leader uh, of the group working on marine plastics for a while, and then also a group leader for the group working on environmentally friendly coastal development. So I've done quite a few things. But I, I guess like I'm always coming back to plastics <laughs> either way I, where I where I am. So one of the th- projects that I uh, manage now is professional coastal cleanup. So not volunteers this time, but it's professionals cleaning the coastline. Wow. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. By professionals, what do you mean by professionals? A lot of them have worked in some kind of nature restoration. They are professionals in, in litter picking, actually. After the past three or four years, we've gotten quite a huge sector working on litter in Norway. And it's funded by like a recycle scheme. Uh, it's called the Retailers Environmental Fund. So every time you buy a plastic bag at your shop, two crowners, as we call it, I guess it's like half a dollar or something. No, maybe not Mm -hmm. that much. goes back to this fund. 
that's funding cleanups, both volunteer cleanups, but also this professional cleanup program. Yeah, so it's it's pretty cool. That is really cool. I was, gonna, <laughs> I was just about to literally use that word. That's fantastic. Yeah, I and agree. So exciting to hear about. You know, I feel like that is very innovative and not something that exists, at least not that I've heard of. Do you know of any other programs around the world that exist like that? No, I, I don't actually. So you're at the forefront. Yeah, I get, you know, SALT is, is project manager for several like regions. So I'm, I'm managing one region. The initiatives come from this environmental fund, uh, the retailer's environmental fund. And I guess it's a way of responding to EU's plastic regulative. We want to phase out the usage of, of plastic bags. Right. Paying for them is one incentive to bring your own tote bag or whatever. But the money have to go somewhere. And luckily, it's gone into a waste picking. That's at least trying to be full circle in terms of cleaning up what you're contributing to by buying and using plastic bags if you're not reusing them or properly disposing of them. Mm-hmm. I also noticed that you're part of a think tank. Of course, an uh, environmental think tank. It's called Palm. It started as a magazine, an online magazine, having really good writers doing really good research. But after a while, we figured that we don't have a green think tank in Norway, and maybe we should go into this, you know, conflicted environmental cases or questions that we either don't talk about because it's too hard or too, the debate is too harsh, actually. Volatile. Yeah, volatile. It started a few years ago and we're, we're still building it up. But this year we will have a conference on nuclear power just to kind of understand why Norway has said no to nuclear energy always. But in a in the climate crisis, all energy forms use some kind of nature. You have to build down nature to have windmills or solar panels or all energy has consequences. So going into this nuclear debate is uh, it's tough. And I'm not sure if it's the way to go, but I think it's important to to talk about things that we have declined for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a, in a climate crisis, we we need to look at all possibilities. So, from an external point looking in, it's basically an arena to explore different options, to get curious, and to facilitate open conversation about things that can sometimes be very tricky and volatile, I guess, in terms of discussion, but to basically bring in different perspectives and give them a space to be within the political context. Yeah, that's a good summary. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so were you one of the founding members of this small Uh No, I, I've been there since it started as an advisor or something like that. But it's the past year I've been, what do you call it, the chair of the board. Okay. So it's very interesting. I hope you can grow and become a, a voice in the, the public debate. But at the moment, we're slowly growing. Mm-hmm. These things take time. But I think that's 
sounds like a very worthwhile place to put your energy in terms of working outside of the normal structures of politics, but hopefully opening up some dialogue that can mean that more diverse voices are heard. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. And also maybe depolarize the debate or can kind of open the space for a lot of ideas. Amazing. So you've got this one side that is extremely active out there in the world, impacting real wide-scale change. And then I'd love to get back to a little bit more of this, the balance of your life. So you found yourself in the Lofoten Islands, a little bit quieter lifestyle, sort of trying to get build out the side of your life that wasn't just about being an environmentalist and being work-focused and facilitating relationships with people who are passionate about other things, which mm -hmm. is yeah. really important <laughs> for all of us. I imagine what you're saying is probably very evocative for a lot of people who are extremely passionate about something and that we get very, very focused and can sometimes find it hard to diversify, get a little bit too linear in our thinking. And there's a danger when we do start to diversify going a mile wide and an inch deep on a bunch of different things. But when we can utilize wider understandings of what it is to be passionate and how different people are approaching their passions, it can sometimes really allow us, when we do get focused and we are an inch wide, we can get a mile deep, but have a totally different way of doing things so that we're not coming at something from just a very specific way of doing things in the way that it's always been done. Like I'm thinking about your think tank, for example, right? Mm -hmm. You're basically looking at, okay, well, how have other people innovated and disrupted and how can we bring that to something that I've been very focused on? Mm -hmm. What I'd love to talk about now is how you've brought things that you're passionate about. So environment connection to nature, living sustainably with nature, developing then healthy relationships with community. And then now you're in the, the midst of motherhood. And I would love to just know a little <laughs> bit more about how that has all played out in terms of moving to the islands. And then you've found this job, which sounds like it was really well aligned with what you wanted to be doing, but also allowed you the space to have a healthy personal life, which is really, <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of integral to this whole life thing. So I'd just love to explore that a little bit more with you. So when I finally got the chance to meet people doing stuff that I wasn't or didn't know anything about, like the military or cars or, <laughs> you know, whatever, I met my boyfriend. He, he works in the military and kind of being more open-minded to get to know people, what make them tick. We met in the Lofoten Islands. We started dating and after a while uh, we got pregnant. He, he lived in Oslo and we kind of wanted to explore the possibilities to live both places for a while. So during my maternity leave, we uh, lived in Oslo where his job was, and during his paternity leave, we lived in Lafoten Islands, and we decided to to divide the the leave. So we had half a year each uh, at home with our amazing daughter. So we had like this year of adventure 
together as a family, both in Oslo and the Lofoten Islands. And of course, we we did work still, but you know, life changes quite a lot when you have a baby. What's important in life is is different. Of course, environmentalism will be a part of me my whole life. I'm sure of it. But now, kind of bringing things down and taking the time to explore the world the way my kids explore the world everything is new everything is interesting and it's so rewarding had a year together where we yeah had a lot of outdoorsy adventures just you know in our backyard our second child uh, came and we understood we uh, we needed a bit more help uh, living uh, very far away from our families. It's tricky. And it's also, I, I wanted my kids to know their grandparents and their families. So we decided to move back south. And we bought a small farm, not so far from my boyfriend's parents. And now it's it's strange. I've always been this super restless person wanted to explore everything wanted to travel the world and now kind of just being at the farm with the kids growing vegetables together making food together of what we've grown uh, having chickens having a lot of eggs just making food being closer to nature but in a very i guess like a s- slow life you know still we we both work the kids are in kindergarten. My youngest is a bit over one year old, so it's it's super hectic. <laughs> uh, yes. It's it's still like a super hectic life, but I guess like the free time that we have together doesn't have to be on a sailboat or on the top of a mountain. Just, you know, looking at the plants grow is really rewarding. Mm-hmm. I think we call that beautiful chaos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> beautiful chaos. It's exactly what it is. I think it is fascinating. I had written down, I think one of the most wonderful things about being around kids is that you do see the world through new eyes again. And it's almost an invitation to revisit everything and question what you think about it. What beliefs have you come to throughout your life? And can you question everything that you ever thought. I mean, kids are amazing. They are such a gift to all of us. First of all, to remember to bring joy and wonder and awe back into our lives, which can sometimes fall to the wayside when we get so deep into the responsibilities of adulthood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think it is really interesting to reflect on there's a period of time in life where we do feel that pull to really go external and explore and look for adventure elsewhere when actually adventure is right where we are. We just have to look at things a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think I could have done that in my 20s as well, not having to go on these expeditions. I think everybody should be more present in where they are in a way. You can find adventure in your backyard. It's amazing to to explore with your kids the way they see the world. Absolutely. I think we were talking about potato harvesting the other day and how <laughs> it's basically the best because it's like a treasure hunt. <laughs> 
Oh, it's definitely a treasure aunt. <laughs> I, I love what you said there about, you know, I think I could have done that in my 20s as well. You know, once again, we live in societies where it's normalized to want more, to need more, to consume more. And I think this is obviously very relevant in an environmental context too, in terms of consumerism and seeking to achieve and all of these things that really... I never say I wish I had known better earlier because I think <laughs> that we are where we are when we need to be there. You learn things when you're ready yeah, and you come to things when you're ready. I don't believe in having regrets. I think that it's all just a part and parcel of the way that we evolve through our life <laughs> and just being grateful for all the things as you were talking about right at the very beginning in our weird and wonderful questions. It's not expecting happiness to be your constant. We are here to explore the whole spectrum of emotion and human experience. And in that contrast, especially if we can remain, as you said, present in it, then we're really doing it, the life thing, right? Yeah. We're fully in it and we're fully experiencing everything. When I do say I wish, it would be cool to go back and experience the same things that I had experienced younger with this, the perspective that I have now, yeah. as we were talking about the hanging up and hanging out, being very present with where you are. But you don't have to do that. You can just start from this exact moment and just be exactly where you are and fully alive in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I think children invite us and remind us to do. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. They are fully in it, and you know that. <laughs> so I'm curious, Malin, as an environmentalist, but she said obviously will be alive in you forever, as it will be in me and, and many people. One of the discussions that we have in environmental circles is about intergenerational responsibility. I'm curious about how that has shifted for you, if it has, or maybe it hasn't, or just to have a reflection on how does that feel now? versus before you had children. Has that changed? Not a lot. I think I've always been working for next generations in a way. I think the past five years has just shaken me in a way because climate change is suddenly so real and it's here now and, and we're experiencing it now. Mm -hmm. So before I think I've had this intellectual fear of climate change in a way that, but now it's a fear that it's closer. And also after having kids, like if we experience the climate change today, how will the future look like for them? It's scarier, I think. I could feel that for sure. Being a mother, you want to instill that care and that love and connection to nature in your children, which it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing in terms of living this lifestyle where hands in the dirt, you've got animals around you, you're spending time in nature, getting out there and having them create a relationship with the environment. So with that in mind, what does being a mother mean to you? Wow, <laughs> that's a big question. It, it means everything. It's, it's in my mind 24 is 7, you know, but also bringing up new life, new people. It's an, an amazing journey, you know, seeing this little baby that can't talk, it, it doesn't even know 
it exists <laughs> almost. And then just after a year, it can talk and walk and tell you what it wants. And yeah, I get a, you get a like this amazing view of, of life, really. Being a mom is, I guess it's, it's like my number one job and everything comes second. And I guess that's how it is for most parents. Mm-hmm. Being of that age now where a lot of people are around you and close relationships are having children and not having children myself, I think that you can play really important roles in children's lives that aren't yours. And it's one of the really interesting conversations I've been having with new parents is what is the actual role of being a parent, right? And <laughs> Why are we having children? And this is some big conversations, especially when we talk about the population of the planet and the Mm -hmm. environment, and how everything is so interconnected. The beauty of having children, I remember a period of time in my life where I didn't want children because of this environmental impact of it. And I've come to revisit that as I've gotten older. And as I've had one friend say to me, there's the potential that your child changes the world. And I think that that's something that's really interesting to think about, but we also need to be careful of not placing expectations on our children to be something we want them to be versus something that they're meant to be. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's something we, we think a lot about and also talk a lot about at home. They have to be them. And I think my main role is to support and to, to love. The most important thing for kids is, is love knowing that they are safe. But I don't want to put the pressure on them that they, they have to be anything. They, they can be themselves. But I think having good values is important to the world too, you know. And you don't have to be like an Einstein or an amazing person, but you can exist in the world doing your best. That's beautiful because it just went for a full circle to when I asked you earlier what your motto or your mantra would be, which is <laughs> Wow, what an amazing conversation this has been. I've so enjoyed it. I'd love to know what cause you chose for this month's recreation donation. So I think we have to go back to where I started in Young Friends of the Earth, Norway. It's an amazing organization working on environmentalism, of course, but I think uh, being in in a youth organization, you understand democracy you get this crash course in democracy and and how society works. We call it Yachtesak in Norwegian, like heart cause. Yeah. I love that. That's wonderful. So if people choose to support, obviously we will be donating from recreation, but if people choose to support, where does that money go? It goes to the organization and now they are working very hard to stop Norway, dump mining waste in the fjords. So Norway is one of the few countries in the world that still allows that, and it will kill the whole fjord. Okay, wow. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting on one hand, so proactive in terms of the work that you're doing with money from plastic bags going to cleaning up, and then on the other hand, and that is the world we're living in, is just this this huge paradox. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's an excellent cause. And I'm really looking forward to supporting it this month and promoting it to be donated to by our listeners as well. So thank you so much for choosing that. Thank you.
And so we have one more question to go before we sign off. And I am very excited, as always, to hear your musings on the answer to this question, or if there is an answer, or maybe there isn't, and that's okay too. So what do you think is the meaning and purpose of life, the universe, and everything? (laughs) So you're asking the question? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know what? I I don't believe there is a meaning or purpose at all. I think it's like this amazing coincidence or what do you call it? A serendipity mm. uh, that we are here and there is no meaning behind it. There is no purpose behind it, which means that we have to make the purpose. We have to make the meaning in life and the universe and everything. And that goes to finding your passion, finding those good relationships, and trying to leave the world and universe a better place. Finding your purpose. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) This is the thing. Every answer to this question is perfect, right? That's the whole point is we don't know. (laughs) We we don't know. Get really comfortable with not knowing. (laughs) And by not knowing, it's like, I guess, if it was a God or if, if it had a purpose, I think we should have known, or I think somebody should have written like a a note. <laughs> <laughs> like a memo. Yeah, a memo. So so your place here, this is this is how you do life. You know, this is the meaning of it. Yeah. If it's all just a coincidence that we are here, to me that's just fantastic. <laughs> you know? Beautiful. That was awesome. Well, thank you so much for today, Malin. I had been looking forward to this conversation for a very long time, and it was just such a beautiful exploration of everything that I expected it to be and more. So thank you for all the amazing work that you're also doing to positively impact not only the environment in Norway, but I know that the lessons and information that you are creating and disseminating is inspirational for people around the world. So keep inspiring and keep getting curious and exploring right where you live with your babies. I think it's just such a beautiful thing to be able to do and to live sustainably the way that you're doing. So thank you for sharing your story with our listeners. And I'm looking forward to hanging out soon. Yeah, me too. And thank you so much for inviting me. This has been so nice. This month's recreation donation is in support of Young Friends of the Earth Norway, also known as Nature and Youth. As you now know from exploring with Malin and I in this episode, this organization played a pivotal role in her journey and is the largest environmentalist youth group in Norway. They have local groups who work on environmental issues all over the country, seeking to be at the leading edge and speaking out on what needs to be done. They put environmental problems on the agenda impact politicians and bureaucrats, and highlight environmentally friendly solutions. Whether you can volunteer your time, money, or your voice, we hope you will head over to our Patreon page to find out the different ways that you can support their unique version of recreation for the world. Please take the time to let us know what the stories we explored in this episode meant to you, and if you do take action to support this month's cause, thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Recreation to Recreation. If you or someone you know has a unique and inspiring story to tell, make sure to reach out so we can share it with the world. Until next time, keep happy, keep healthy, and keep exploring.